Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Boogaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. As we wrap season 10 of Electric Boogaloo, I talk a little bit about House of the Dragon with Oxford Research Fellow Catherine Ollie, and then NFL analyst Fran Duffy and I discuss our upcoming fantasy fantasy auction. Just a word of thanks to all of my guests this season. And of course, a special thanks to all of you who have stuck with me for a full 10 seasons. I remain extremely grateful to you and your listenership and your occasional keen insights in emails, except for Melanie. Melanie only ever sends me nasty emails. So to all except Melanie, my sincerest gratitude. All right, without further ado, here is Oxford medievalist Kate Ollie. I'm assuming you've watched all of House of the Dragon at this point. Yes, yes, I finally finished. I want to. I want to ask you about it. how. How did you like it? How How are you feeling about it? Yeah, so I really, really enjoyed it. Um, from the perspective of my own research into childbirth, I found it very interesting the ways in which childbirth was portrayed throughout. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm very much yeah looking forward to uh, to season two when that comes out, and I'm sort of trying partially to stay away from spoilers but it's hard to do completely so I know some of the general outlines of the civil war and, and what comes but I, I thought it was a really it was a really interesting show kind of the way you know it, it brought us back to the politics and yet obviously the prophecies there in the background which I'll be interested to see if right. they ever do anything with that yeah um or whether that's just a little bit of a kind of easter egg for for Game of Thrones fans and it's not really not really relevant um i think it really recontextualizes daenerys at the end of um game of thrones oh how so because so she she appears kind of terrible at the end of the game of thrones you know and then people talk about you know flicking the switch and she suddenly goes all evil um but drop her in the middle of house of the dragon and she looks kind of pretty average like she's not quite (laughs) as crazy as some of them and she's not quite as nice as others interesting and i think for me it kind of drove home that I think what Martin was kind of getting at is that, you know, people who have dragons can't be normal people. They they have this innate capacity then I totally to, agree. to do stuff that's so much more terrible than anyone else is capable of. I totally and agree with you on this. Yeah. So Danny was just a kind of return to form. Like, uh-huh. um, you know, and I think, in fact, didn't even Matt Smith maybe say something that his character would have approved of what she did in the bells or something like that. Um, and I think that is that is kind of I think what Martin was going for this idea that being a Targaryen is not quite like being other people. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. No, I, I man, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's really well said. I wanted to ask you if because you you've done so much work on sort of Icelandic culture. Yeah. If you feel like. The first Game of Thrones series versus House of the Dragon, which one feels more authentic, if you could sort of use that loose category? Um, yeah, so I think I think this sort of, one of the things that fantasy always does, or medieval-inspired fantasy, I feel, is it telescopes a huge kind of time period and, and drops all sorts of influences into the same mm the same area um so i think for me house of the dragon feels much more kind of high medieval inspired i see um that kind of slightly later period 
Um, and it's, it's also a, a geographical thing. I think King's Landing is, is a lot more kind of high medieval inspired, but the North um, has some more kind of, um, you know, early medieval inspirations maybe. And, um, and so they're kind of drawing on different, influences from different time periods but then kind of putting it all together into the glorious whole that fantasy can can be where you can kind of imagine imagine bringing things together that wouldn't necessarily have coexisted um so I think in terms of yeah the shows that's kind of how I how I sort of feel about it I think but it depends also a little bit I suppose on where House the Dragon goes um because it's been very heavily kind of focused on that mm. political center mm-hmm. and it's got to it's got to spread out now in the aftermath of Viserys's death but yeah i think in some ways the whole song of ice and fire and that inspiration feels a lot more legendary you know in in the way that it harks back even in Martin's world to the age of heroes and to the first time they fought the others and mm. the building of the wall and all of that kind of stuff that it's it's gone from you know living memory right and, right um and and so in in that way I think Game of Thrones does feel more like a throwback to that legendary era when I mean and, and even in Lord of the Rings there's that similar kind of tension I love the bit where um Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli run into the Rohirrim and Aragorn, I forget what he actually says, but he's like introducing himself and he does it in this very grandiose manner. And, and um, Aoma says something about legends kind of popping out of the grass and it just uh-huh. seems like he's completely taken aback. Yeah. This kind of figure of, <laughs> you know, ancient history, that, you know, some ancient Gondorian king of old has just suddenly <laughs> appeared before him. It is a great scene. So I think it's that kind of um, that that happens a bit more in Game of Thrones. You know, it's about the resurgence of ancient magics and you know things coming back to life. And and House of the Dragon feels a bit more modern in a sense. Um, yeah, I. It's funny. You're the second person that said that. I, I had someone else on that said that it feels feels like House of the Dragon in in a lot of ways feels like early modern. Mm. Um. Which I thought, mm, that, you know, there there are parts that do feel that way. I I, I feel it's it's a very Shakespearean, yes. story. Yeah, um, that kind of Shakespearean history. Yeah, yeah. Flavor. Yeah, yeah. Rather than, I mean, I feel like earlier legendary literature is it deals more in these kind of archetypes. You know, you get the fear of the hero and the. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is a little bit more, or a little bit more prevalent maybe in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. It, it depends also which character you're following and kind of and where you are. So, do you find yourself with more affinity to Alicent and Team Green or Rhaenyra <laughs> and Team Black? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so I think I think for me the show worked really well at, at giving you insights into both mm-hmm. sides. So I, I really liked Alicent as a character. I really liked the I think it's episode four or something where you kind of see the struggles that she has as a young queen mm-hmm. and and I thought that was that that R- was kind of um, completely blind to really. 
Um, and the way that you could see that Alison felt, you know, if I'd been given a choice of, you know, marry anyone suitable in the kingdom, you know, that would have been amazing. I, I, would, have, yeah. I would have found someone so easily. Right. And, and yet Rhaenyra's, you know, can't find anyone, is still upset about, about being married off. Um, and yet at the same time, you know, I have a lot of um, respect for Rhaenyra as a kind of character, you know, trying to be that female trailblazer and and being told even by women that have gone before her you know you can't do it and and that you know if they'd wanted to crown a queen they would have crowned Rhaenys and they didn't and um and so I really admire her for kind of not you know taking that um not being defeated by that um and refusing to accept that because she is a woman her actions Mm -hmm. have to be judged by a different standard you know men have bastards and affairs all the time in in that kind of world well, and uh dr ollie this has all been very diplomatic we will need an answer from you <laughs> Te- oh, team um, green or team so black please one. um oh I, if i had to pick if i had to pick on legitimacy i think i would i would if i had to kind of support aside because i thought she had to be queen i think rhaenyra has mm, the right of it mm-hmm. um but i think i'd probably slightly prefer alison as a character okay um but i i think i think the greens are probably in the wrong legally uh, um okay. <laughs> but yeah i do i do like i do like alison a lot yeah. i think she's a great and olivia cook is obviously uh-huh. a great actress as well of course i I'm, it to life. I'm being a little bit hypocritical i i do <laughs> feel like both greens and blacks are guilty of sin I feel like like they're both treacherous and capable of murder and, uh, you know, you name it, they're, you know, they're, they're, they'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you've got, you know, like we were saying, like dragon riders have this, their default position is to conquer and burn in Dracarys. Um, so, you know, you got both, you got those on both sides. So I mean, my feeling is that you're not supposed to be rooting for either of these teams, uh, but but the yeah. fan base seems to have have wanted to take sides. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Because yeah, I think I think they're definitely trying to go for a morally gray. Yes. Nobody's perfect, sort of a mm-hmm. sort of a world. So I'm glad you like it. That, that's that's great. Maybe when uh, the new season comes out, we can uh, get back together yeah. and chat about it. Yeah, no, that would be great. I'm looking forward to. The new season, I think it's due in 2024, is it? Yeah, it's going to be a a bit of a wait, for sure. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. 
Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. We play an ugly game. I want winners. I want people that want to win. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win. You die. There is no middle ground. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Come after me! I've listened to that episode uh, that you guys did with Evan and Kevin uh, oh, Aaron was great. Good. So you kind of have an idea of the uh, thing. I think so. Fran, I spent a lot of my 20s, the decade of my 20s, probably, I would say about half of my waking hours was devoted to fantasy baseball. Were you ever a fantasy baseball guy? I did everything growing. We did fantasy baseball, fantasy yeah. football, fantasy basketball, fantasy hockey. Uh, uh-huh. We did we did it all uh, growing up in our, our teens and twenties for sure. Yeah. So and I I I, I kind of think of it as my misspent youth. It probably is way <laughs> too much, way too many hours spent on that. Um, now, so I'm assuming, and I and I maybe I should have asked you this before, but I'm assuming that you you've been involved with a. A fantasy sports auction. I have uh, not many, but I have, okay. and I'm. But I am very familiar with the strategy of it, and yeah. have I have a lot of. I actually got my start uh, in the sports media, doing fantasy football content, uh, doing a lot of writing with fantasy nah. football. Okay, uh, know, I know a lot of people in the space, and so uh-huh. uh, was able to pick their brains a little bit before uh, jumping into this exercise. Good, very good. All right, I have never, even though I was, you know, even though I did fantasy baseball for, I don't know. 15, 20 years, I've never been involved with an auction. I've heard auctions happen, yep. but I've always ever done a draft. And uh, so I, I suppose Aaron and Evan and, and company have pushed us toward an auction for this upcoming uh, Fantasy Fantasy League. So I feel like I need to get your advice on maybe how to think through an auction strategy. 
Sure. Well, I would say the, the big thing in terms of the difference between like a typical snake draft where it's all right, the team picks one, two, mm-hmm. three, four, five, and then comes back around uh, in an auction is that there's always action. So uh, as a drafter in an auction strategy, you have to be adaptable because things are always changing on the fly. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a certain amount of game theory that become, you know, comes uh, involved with that. So mm-hmm. you've got to keep an eye on what everybody else around you is doing. If you see a certain resource is starting to sap up quickly, then you got to make a move or mm-hmm. you sig while everyone else is zagging. And you, that's the kind of strategy you have to build going in. But um, I think that the, really a lot of it is just being adaptable uh, and yeah. kind of reading the room and seeing how that draft is playing out. So, all right, so this is kind of a an evolving animal, right? So a player like Damon may have a different value if he's bid on early in the draft than later in the draft. Yes, So, exactly. for instance, never spent this much money that, this early or never propose a player that you actually want on your team. Mm. You wait for that player to be proposed by someone else. Is there anything like that sort of general rules of the road that I should know about? Definitely. So you're definitely on the right track with a lot of this, right? And so, um, you know, a a typical fantasy like snake draft, you know, things like average draft placement come into play where you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, you have an idea. Oh, this is where now in this scenario, that's not going to come into play. But I think the big thing from a preparation standpoint going into this, if I were one of the managers in this league, is that I would say um, you want to know your budget and kind of set your limits. So we know what the scoring system is going to be. You know what the categories are going to be. And you know what your budget is. You know how many stags you've got at your disposal, right? And so right. Uh, you want to make sure that you don't want to be that person that is spending 85% of your stags on two players. And then you've got to make one stag bids the rest of the of the episode of the podcast, right? So um, you sure. definitely want to set those limits early going in. And like you mentioned, I think that is definitely one thing is you don't, don't necessarily want to be the person to uh, nominate someone that you really want. Mm-hmm. But if everybody knows that, then maybe you do want to nominate someone you want right. because you don't want other people to think that you right. actually want that person, right? So typically what happens in, a, in an auction draft is that the elite players will go early. So I would imagine that Damon will be one of the first ones uh, that is put up to auction. I would imagine like Rhaenyra and some of these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Eamon, those, those are going to be some of the names that come up early on. Um, and you want to be kind of selectively aggressive there. Uh, again, know who it is that you want to target and don't be bashful about being aggressive in those situations, but yeah. you can't be aggressive for everybody. Um, you know, you don't want to be without the stars uh, in this show. If, you, if you're being cautious and saying, oh, I don't mm-hmm. want to spend too much then you're kind of stuck on the outside looking in when the draft's over. Just to kind of fill folks in, so to stay in world, everyone that's in this auction is starting out with 210 stags to work with. And of course, you know, I I don't know if, if, if everyone knows this, probably not, but 210 stags is equal to one gold dragon in the Game of Thrones world, right? So here's my question. Let's say I really want a daemon. I really want him, all right? And... I, I kind of like decide I'm willing to pay as many as a hundred stags for him. So that's almost half my budget, right? And then I think, mm, I think I might be able to get him for a little bit more. Like eh, yep. he's probably going to go for one ten. I didn't budget for that. Would you blow up that sort of self-imposed restriction if you really wanted a player? 
I think the the big thing to remember is that you're trying to have fun as you're watching the show. And if this is going to be additional fun watching the show, you don't want to be sitting there in uh, what is it that we're looking at, like the summer of mm-hmm. 2024, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to be sitting here in summer of 2024 and watching the show and trying to enjoy the show and critically, you know, watch it with a critical eye. And then Damon does something. You're like, oh, that's going to cost me my fantasy league, right? Like if you <laughs> if, if, if it's going to affect you that much, then yes, it's worth it. <laughs> you don't want to be the yeah. person that is kicking yourself that way. At least that's the way you handle mm-hmm. it in uh, fantasy football and fantasy baseball. And so um, I think that ideally, uh, if you've got someone that you feel that strongly, hey, you know what? Like uh-huh. uh, I really want to make sure I have Allison Hightower on my team. Right. Be prepared to go over budget and again be ready to make those moves early because i think that the heavy the heavy hitters they're going to go in those first couple go rounds uh in the auction right 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 right. so the categories that we need to sort of meet at the very basic level in terms of characters is we need one team black one team green and then one blondie and then one non not blondie right yep so what that ends up doing is it it ends up placing a primacy on these platinum haired Targaryens, even though there's, it seems like there's a lot, it feels like those are going to be the big ticket items. Yep. But not all of those, those folks have like legit speaking roles. And I think that this probably makes Rhaenyra the big get. That's my sense. And it could be that she has less dialogue than Alicent. I'm not sure. So if it was you, what would be your limit for someone like mm. Renero? Like, how high do you think you'd go? I, I think that this is very applicable to, say, like the tight end position in fantasy football okay. in, the, in today's modern era, where there is like Travis Kelsey, who produces at like an extremely high level and uh-huh. uh, on a level that's unlike anybody else at tight end. And so, um, while every year you hope that a George Kittle reaches that point. You hope right. that other players might step into that realm. Travis Kelsey is the one that you know, hey, you're going to get your value back for that. And there's there's a lot of, there's a price to pay for right. that certainty, right? And so um, to me, the way I would look at it is, uh, and this is a strategy in auction drafts for fantasy football, is that uh, you want to tier players in those groups. So rather than doing a ranking, there, there are six, mm. there are six uh, different uh, just, uh, teams, right? Yeah. You want to make sure that you have rankings of one to six. And if you want to tier it and you just say, okay, here's number one, here's number two, and here's number three, you're going to find yourself a little disappointed if you, let's say you really had your eyes on number two, but now you're stuck with number five, but you can start to make some of these like uh, more basic decisions. If you say, let's say like if you look at the, the blondies and you say, okay, Mm -hmm. well, Rhaenyra is in a tier all by herself up at number one, but then I look over at team green and there are uh, four people, five people in the second tier. Well, I'm just going to swipe Rhaenyra while I can, and then I'll get one of my second tier of Team Green later, right? I'd rather you'd rather have that combination sure. than someone high up in Team Green, and then whoever might be in your second or third tier in the uh, in the Blondies, if okay. I, if that makes sense, right? So you definitely want to kind of go in with a tier, try to tier all those different groups together. I could imagine a scenario where you might identify that there's actually six Blondies that actually have large dialogue chunks. Yep. I could imagine that once the first five have run out and you don't have that category selected yet, then you end up having to pay a little bit more for that last blondie. 
Or you go the opposite, and you, because now it's like, okay, well, if everybody else has selected all the blondies, mm-hmm. I don't need to make that move. Like, if uh, the, the blondie that I take early is going to be easier, you know, comparable to the one right. that I would get later, this is uh, in fantasy football terms, this would be like the zero running back theory where, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to let everybody else pick all the running backs, <laughs> I'm going to pick, pick all the other positions. Yeah. And then I'm going to try and scoop up other players uh, right. on the back end of it. That would be the way that you kind of you kind of look about you know look at that. T- yeah, and the, but yeah again, the trick with this one is that you could select someone who fits in either team black or team exactly green, or right? a blonde. So yeah, yep. You could come out the gate and just select four blondies and just totally decimate everyone else's teams or whatever. And now they're they're playing with bid characters, and then I don't know you're putting someone in reserve that probably should start on someone else's team right exactly and again that's part of those the what we've talked about at the very beginning where you kind of want to have that strategy you know in your mind as a possibility Mm -hmm. but you have to read the room and see like hey like you know maybe i thought i was going to do a coming into this but uh, i have to go with plan b or c just on how the the, this draft is going so far okay so do you think it's better strategy to come out the gate strong get who you want to get or kind of lay in the weeds and wait to see where the value is or do you i think you try to do a combination of both i think you you want to do a combination you you want to i would say uh you want to try and little finger this uh as best you can where <laughs> you make that you make a, a heavy-handed move mm-hmm. um, be prepared to be aggressive but don't go don't overplay your hand either early okay. on I think the the worst thing that can happen is that you want to be a little if you, if you're too cautious early and now all the best players are gone right. and you're kind of left saying like all right well what 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 hand am I going to play now um, yeah yeah the, the other thing I would say too in terms of being like overly aggressive don't get into a bidding war with someone that you're not like in love with it, it may feel like boring or stupid to sit mm. back and watch everybody else compete for play, a player that you like but you got to be smart like the worst thing you can do is you get caught up in a bidding war because you're trying to drive up the price on somebody yeah. and then you end up with someone that either you don't want to root for or you just don't have a place for in your starting lineup right. I, I think i would say that's a big thing as well okay and then all right so do you would you like uh be able to identify like I know two or three sort of common mistakes that you've seen people make. Yeah, I think um, I would say like uh, a tip for nominations, right? So if you're nominated, it's your turn to nominate a player to to be auctioned for, Um, you know, and this again goes back to like the game theory aspect. Let's say that there's a high level player that you're just not all that interested in having on your team. Uh Um, I would say kind of go one you kind of brought it up earlier is like you want that nomination to happen early. Don't be afraid to kind of start that nomination. Uh-huh. And the big thing too is if you uh when you're nominating a player to be auctioned, you want that first not that first bid to be competitive, right? Mm-hmm. So uh let's let's go with some let's go with the opposite, right? Let's say you really want Damon. Mm-hmm. Uh you're all right, you know what? Hey, like I'm gonna start the auction for the, the start the bidding for Damon. We're gonna start it at one silver, one stag. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, not only are you bringing everybody into to talk, to talk about Damon, but everyone's like, oh, like one stag, like yeah, I'm in, right? And now yeah, you're yeah. you're just inviting everybody. You want to start that bidding high to at least scare off two or three people, and now you're making it a three person bidding it. war or a two person bidding war as opposed to opening up to the whole pool. Right. Okay. Is it the auctioneer's responsibility to set the level, or is it the the first nomination sets the first bid? 
I so the way that I have done it in the past and seen it done is that it's typically the first uh, nomination. Like you go around the horn and it's like, all right, like I, I'm up first. I'm going to nominate uh, uh, this player for this bid, and now everybody's off and running. Um, so that, I guess that could okay. be a discussion of how you guys want to handle that one. Yeah, no, I guess maybe we could get your advice on that. So I think it might be good to have a rotating. Yeah, I think so. At least um, get everyone's voice you know, sort of in a rotation, right? I mean, even I if they so. don't actually get the high bid on that person, at least they've got blood in the game, right? Yeah, I would say so. And the, the other thing to worry, to watch out for, okay? And this is a um, this is when I got this advice from uh, uh, Joe Dolan from FantasyPoints.com, fan, <laughs> fan, one of the best fantasy football experts I know, okay? okay. Uh, he said, in an auction, you've got to beware of the hammer, okay? So after those first couple of rounds, um, you know, and that's where, again, that's where your heavy hitters are typically going to go. Rainier is going to be off the board in the first, like, two or three uh-huh. rounds. Uh, Damon's going to be off the board. Vagar's going to be off the board. Somebody is going to be laying in the weeds with a lot of money. So you want to kind of, like, t- read the room, take stock. Right. Who's the person that, if I were to nominate somebody big here, they can come in and swoop them up with a huge bid. You want to be beware of the hammer is. And if you were the hammer, like, Make that move. Like, make sure you go and be assertive. And again, go make that move. Go get a player that you really want on your team. Uh huh. I guess here's my question. My question is, is it better to select? Let's say I need eleven players on my team. Have you ever seen a team that sort of has an equal value for those players be successful, or is it usually like big ticket item and then fill in with like small value targets? Yeah, so that that latter uh, team that you just described is yeah. like a stars and scrubs uh, kind of right. team build. Yeah, yeah, I typically yeah. do not uh, ascribe to that. I, I like the the more well rounded team personally, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, right? So I think that there you can definitely win in that way, um, and especially in this kind of uh, environment, right, where um, you know we don't necessarily know how this is going to go from a scoring standpoint. Right. Uh, you know, there's no standards, there's no average draft place. We're not going to be able to read this and say like, oh yeah, exactly. like. This is definitely how it's going to go. Um, so I think like anybody is up for grabs here in terms of like uh, who could score well at the end of the day. But um, yeah, there, there are a lot of different ways you can go about that beforehand. Uh, one one aspect to do as I was going through the rules, um, I think that there's a uh, there's a strategy in fantasy sports that's called stacking, and it's especially prevalent in fantasy football. Where let's say uh, you've got Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, uh, both on the same team from the San uh-huh. Francisco 49ers. And you have those guys on your team. Anytime Joe Montana throws a touchdown to Jerry Rice, you get six points for Joe Montana right. and you get six points for Jerry Rice. Well, in this league, going through the rules, if I read the rules right, um, I think stacking is super valuable in this league because in this league, the scoring is multiplied. It's not a yeah. sum. It was a it was a force multiplier. If that were if I were in this league, that would be something I would absolutely be trying to take advantage of early and often. Is trying to stack yes. as many uh, you know player and phrases, uh, people and dragons. I'd be trying to try trying to do that as often as mm-hmm. possible. So just to kind of fill folks in, so just the basic thing is that you're gonna you're gonna select both characters and phrases, and if you select if your character you know, does something or says something, you get a, a few points. If you hear your phrase uttered by anyone, you get a few points. If your character utters your phrase and you have rights on both, you're going to multiply those points. So I think it's good to have a word for that. So stacking is is sort of the name of the game in this particular model. Correct. Uh, you, you'd like to have as many uh, examples of, you know, uh, Ned Stark saying winter is coming as possible. Mm. 
So let's say like um, like I had Rhaenyra. Okay, a lot of people are going to be saying "my queen" or "your grace" to Rhaenyra. So if I have Rhaenyra, it, I, I probably shouldn't draft that phrase. Correct. Exactly. That's a, that, that, that's the opposite. You want to be right. try and stay away from that one. I, I hadn't even even uh, thought about it from that standpoint. Yeah, you want to try and stay away from that uh, to, if you think there's going to be the opposite in play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. My here's one of the other things that I was uh, I was kind of trying to figure out, and maybe you could help me think through this. I can imagine a scenario where someone like goes hog wild and they they draft a few players early on and they they really love their their players and they didn't really calculate that they were gonna they're gonna need eleven of them before all was said and done, and they end up blowing their wad before they have enough players to fill a roster in the leagues you've been a part of is there a penalty for this yeah it's a good question um you know i think that for with this being the first of its kind all right i I think that it'll be tough to penalize people too harshly i would just say that every as long as everybody is aware of the fact that hey here's your budget here's what you're working with and here's Mm -hmm. likely what i mean there's going to be a surplus of some of these categories, right? I mean, there are, there are plenty of characters because there's only six teams. There's so many phrases, right? Mm-hmm. So you should be able to make some of those $1 bids uh, as you get to the end or one stag bids at mm-hmm. the end of the draft and be able to win on some of those bids. Um, but uh, yeah, I, trying to come up with a penalty uh, that might be for uh, that might be for Evan to decide to wield that <laughs> hammer. <laughs> Have you been involved with a fantasy league before where there was a, a penalty for those players or is it that like basically you just will solve that with the waiver wire sort of post draft or post exactly yeah it was more so like all right at the end uh you have to you know you have to fill out your roster through the uh through the waiver wire at the end where uh you can make a claim on someone who was undrafted uh and pay whatever it is that you're Mm -hmm. able to pay there on the waiver wire after the draft okay interesting any last bits of advice for me as going into this? I would say real quickly, one other piece of advice towards the end of the draft. Um, I think as you go through and, and what, what I would say is the advice to all the players is that uh, going in, Again, set your tiers up and say, okay, like I've got, uh, you know, four tiers in mm-hmm. each category. Um, f- as you get to like tier three, as you get to tier four, kind of earmark or highlight like, hey, here are some some ones that, yes, I have them in lower tiers. But I really want this player at this value. I really want this phrase mm-hmm. at this value. I think this could really pay off uh, with where I can get them in this auction. Um, and then don't be afraid to overpay for that at the end of the draft. So uh, you know, just kind of save a little bit in your cash there for, hey, you know what? Um, I want to make sure I pay uh, seven stags for something. Uh, let's. I'm like looking through um, some of these phrases that have been approved. So uh, I want to make sure, you know what? I really want to root for dark wings, dark words. And, uh, you know, I, I, who mm. knows how many times it gets said, but I'll just have a blast uh, while I'm sitting and watching if that one gets said. So I'm going to pay a little bit extra there and don't be afraid to go and overpay for that at the end of the draft and say like, okay, that, that one is worth it to me if I do have to go to the waiver wire post and if I have to fill right. out uh, my roster. So um, you, you want to try and find those values wherever you can. Um to me, I'm like fascinated. You know, uh, I think it was you and Jim and, and Aaron had talked about uh, some of the new dragons that are going to be available. So now it's like, okay, well, you know, uh, do I need to overspend for someone like Vagar, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or like the Red Worm? If I know, hey, you know what, those are pr- they're going to be they're, they're going to be battle dragons, right? If 
like there might be someone like kind of laying in the weeds that we're not aware of yet uh, that could be kind of sleepers. I know the, the last time uh, you and uh, Steve and I did a podcast was like at the halfway point uh, of that season of season one. Mm-hmm. And we were saying, yeah, like, you know, like uh, young Aegon, like could be a little bit of a wild card, like young Aemon, like could yeah. be a little bit of a wild card. We don't know anything about that. We talked about La- Laris, like, oh, Larry could be a little bit of a sleeper here. We only he only had like three lines in the first half of the season. Uh, and then he like murdered his family in the uh, the second half, the first episode of the second <laughs> half of the year. Right. So um, I think that there are certainly going to be some unknowns going into this that I would just kind of like bookmark and say, this might be a really good value just kind of betting on the unknown. It might be a complete flop. It might be a complete zero, but what the, what the payback there could be really, really strong. Sure. Okay. To me, it's going to be, it's a fascinating exercise. And even like looking at some of these other approved character actions, like through the rules, like, kneels, like a knee must touch the floor. Like that's seven points. Like, all right. So this person doesn't even need to be like, a particularly like strong voice or like a, a dominant character. But if it's just uh, the, you, you get somebody's yes, man in team green, that's uh-huh. always kneeling in front of Aegon or in front of Allison. <laughs> and that's a win. Right. So right. Um, I think that's a, that's a fascinating uh, value play for somebody uh, at some point late in the draft. Right. 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 Yeah. That was sort of my attempt to like balance the scales. Um, hey man, I appreciate your help. And it's, it's nice to have someone who's got a bit of uh, experience with this going in. Well, I'm excited to uh, to just kind of watch this develop. And, you know, the, the NFL draft is the end of April. So for this to be taking place the first week of May, I will be nice and fresh with all of my quips with uh, being able to rip everybody's strategies going into this. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, maybe we do some post-auction analysis then. <laughs> um so i want to i got a couple questions i i'm hoping you can help me think through in terms of this fantasy fantasy league that we got Mm -hmm. coming up we have a long history of doing fantasy leagues together yeah and but i i'll admit that i've never done an auction before have you ever been involved with an auction thought you and i did an auction once uh, was it for a baseball thing? Mm, yeah, pretty sure. Okay, shoot. I mean, I think it was. I think it was Dan Milligan was running. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I I take it back. I I've been. <laughs> I I'll, I'll put it this way: I don't have a lot of experience with auctions, and I don't have any memory of the auction. <laughs> I'm not saying that I've never completed an auction before. Uh, have 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 you been? In a lot of, I know you've done a fair amount of fantasy sports. Not a few. Okay, all right. And you know, do you have like a strategy that you go in? Like you think I, I, I'm going to get a a big. I was talking with Fran Duffy earlier today. He said that there's a uh, there's a strategy called a a star and scrubs strategy where you get the one big ticket item up front, and then Mm. you kind of try to fill in with bit players toward the end. Or do you like, no, I want, I want my players to be pretty evenly. Yeah, evenly I, I think I probably go a little bit more even, but I also go in with a strategy that um, I try to get a sense on like who might, like, is there a player that someone is like, like, like a fan of, right? Like if there's mm-hmm. a particular team, like if there's, if there's fans of a team and let's say there's a guy that like, let's say like, let's look at football and say there's a George Kittle, right? Now he's not yeah. the top tight end by any stretch. But there may be some people that have already sort of earmarked him and been like, you know what? I'm not going to get Travis Kelsey. 
I'm not gonna get Mark Andrews. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm so gonna funny. Duffy was just talking about tight ends and he did he brought up all of these same names. <laughs> and it's funny because like and that and my move would be to like almost like first round, George Kittle. I put him out there. Because now what you've got is you got everybody going, oh crap. Uh... There's a chance you can get someone to, to kind of blow their wad. So you want someone to overbid. So yeah, I put it, I put it in an overbid situation. And it's it's it to me, that's and again, I don't know. I don't play. I don't do enough auctions to say that this is a foolproof strategy. But I do like the idea of doing that because then if it's somebody that I am somewhat interested in, and I see people being like, "Well, I don't want to do it so early," you might actually get a bargain. You could and go either way: overpay early, or you might be able to get a bargain early because people are like, "I'm not ready to." I spend hadn't that. thought about that. I was just thinking like someone would probably overpay early, but I hadn't thought of like maybe you got some people who are gun shy because they don't know how it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. And people who are maybe more strategically oriented don't want to limit their options later on. Yeah. So these are the kinds of things that like I, I tend to be the, and I'm sure you're, if you were to do more auctions, you'd be the same way. I like to play the people maybe more than I'm actually. Sure. So it's interesting. So I happen to know that both Aaron and Jim are team black people. They don't like team green people. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if that, will change how it could because they might not want to root for somebody i mean we're all gonna have to select at least one team green yeah it's it's it is kind of a rooting game right so you don't if you if you absolutely hate auto maybe you don't want to root for our auto right it's a tricky thing now here's here's a question for you we're gonna have a set amount of money going into this and Mm -hmm. have you ever been involved with a league where someone walked away without a full roster but they completely spent every last penny. And if so, is there like a penalty for that? Usually I think then, then what, what I think would happen is now you're just subject to the free agency pool. So basically whatever's right. left, you have the option to pick up, but it's in the same, but it's in whatever the, however your waiver process works. Cause I'm almost inclined to say, okay, that's fine. But if you go, you know, if you don't walk away with a full roster, then you get immediately put to the bottom of the waiver wire. Yeah. And I think in some leagues, especially if you do them electronically, like online, I don't think it'll let you like, let's say you've got five spots left and you have $5. I don't think you can spend more than $1 on any one player. All right. So there are some leagues that will not allow you to do that. Yeah. So that, and then if you, and that's the other thing, if you know that and you're, you're banking on that and you look at somebody and they goes, look, I know they can only spend a dollar for the next, the next few rounds. I've got, I've got two that I can, you know, I've I've kept 10 to their five Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to get who I want and I don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. When you go into these things and you don't know the people, right? So you you say you like to play the people, but you don't know the people. Will you take a few rounds to just kind of figure out who's in the room and what, what their deal is? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I mean, when I'd done live drafts, like whether the auction or, or otherwise, and I'm in a group that I, I I like to get there early and hear the talk. I all right. I that is good. I have to keep that in mind. Maybe we should open the Zoom meeting a half an hour early just to see who wants to show up early and talk shop. Mm-hmm. That 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 might that might be worthwhile. Okay. Um. Uh. Now I have asked you if you'd be willing to. If someone just can't think of a of a team name. If you'd be willing to allow them to punch to you, like say, mm-hmm. I, I don't have a team name. 
I'm I'm willing to allow Steve to select my team name. And and you said you'd be willing to do that. Yeah, sure. Are you going to sort of do that impromptu or are you going to have a few team names kind of written up ahead of time? I might have some uh, in, in the bag. Okay. All right. And then I was hoping everyone would come up with a house word. So like, for instance, uh, uh, w- one team name I came up with was uh, you know something related to the Westerosi term for poop, which is night soil. Mm, I like that. And so Aaron suggested that the Night Soilers would be a good name. House house words would be, we shut the bed. That, <laughs> so that, night is it night like a, a the the evening? It, yeah, it happens at night. Oh, okay. So do people hold it typically in this in Westeros? In, in Westeros, it's impossible to poop during the day. So oh yeah, they have like oh, <laughs> there's day soilers and man, they come from the north. <laughs> I love the idea that it's like a cultural thing. <laughs> it's a total slur. Like, pff, the guys, are, he's a total day soiler. <laughs> For this week's Bird's Eye View, I want to notice a few themes I've been seeing developed in A Clash of Kings this time around. The first is what I think is a fascinating element of real world medieval culture, and that is. The practice among great houses of the taking of hostages and the giving of wards. I think this creates a two-culture problem for people like Theon, for people like Littlefinger, for people like the Frey Boys. I think for these situations to work well, the hostages or wards in question will keep the peace and create friendships with the second generation. And as one emailer pointed out, we see that to positive effect with the relationship between Ned and Robert. But I think that Martin is also playing with the idea of what happens when these things go wrong, right? What what happens if Theon grows up not knowing if he's a Stark or a Greyjoy, or worse, trying to be both at the same time and realizing he can't do either very well. Someone like Theon is going to be never at home in either culture, and so he becomes kind of a hybrid creature with no home. I think we could say the same thing for a few other characters, and then of course, we see a legitimate villain like Littlefinger created by this situation. So that's one theme that I've been interested in looking at. And I think that I might try to bring on some more medievalists who specialize in hostage taking or the practice of ward giving. I'm also really fascinated with the introduction of Ramsay Snow. At this point in the story, I don't even think he has a name. I think he's just called the Bastard. We're just getting little bits and pieces of information about him and he's going to become such an important character in these later books. I just find this introduction very interesting. And I think that you could almost lose readers with a slow build like that. But I think Martin really likes these slow builds that end up paying off with huge dividends later. And I think one of the boons in creating a slow build like that is that when you do a reread, like we're doing on this podcast, it's really fun to follow the breadcrumbs. Like, at this point, we're seeing the Ramsey story filtered through distance, filtered through the perspective of a child, filtered through the story of Lady Hornwood, and filtered through a generally a stark perspective on the North. And so all of those barriers really obscure the introduction to a really important character. And then, of course, later we're going to see 
you know, Ramsey laid bare through Theon's perspective. Finally, I really do think that Martin is very interested in gender bending, and two characters come to mind immediately, and that is Arya in disguise. That itself has been a slow burn, but then we're going to plunge into the deep end with Brienne of Tarth. And that gender subversion is going to be in our face immediately. And even someone as sympathetic to the plight of women in this context, like Catelyn Stark, is going to have trouble with the categories that Brienne is exploding. And this, I think, also brings in questions of true knighthood. Who can be a knight and who can't be a knight on the surface, but then, of course, who embodies the ideals deep down. So I think we're seeing that with the Hound, for instance. I think we're seeing that with Brienne, for instance. So those are the themes I'll be looking for as we move forward. And that, my friends, is a wrap on Season 10.